I was stealing money from places I shouldn't have been, obviously. Uh, my wife found out, and we got in the car and drove around the corner to a little parking lot. What is this money coming from? I just told her. I said, look, my cocaine addiction is out of control. I don't know up from down. Mm. It's got its hooks in me, and I have no idea what to do. That's exactly what I told her. I have no idea. I went to Bible college out of, out of high school, and I made a hard right turn. And I went the opposite way of Bible college, essentially. I did the math, and I think I've been addicted to drugs for about 25 years. That comes out to 9,125 days. And I've been sober for 152 now. If I didn't become sober, I would be dead homeless or in jail. Take your pay. There's the only outlets. I could play church, you know? I know all the language. I grew up in it. I could just play pretend and be high on the side and nobody would know. Pastor Derek always preaches about not being a seat filler. <laughs> just coming to Monday, Sunday morning, check a box, oh, I feel good today, and then I'll come back next week. That's what I did, my wife and I both, for 6.5 years. We'd just <laughs> come in, hi, and run out. The minute Derek's done praying, we leave. Everything came crashing down right around New Year's Day. And God said to me, look, you have two choices. You're, you're gonna go, mm physically die or you can turn and do what's right and i've always known what's right i didn't know where to turn my wife's like you better figure this out today so i emailed the church on i think friday and sunday morning i was in service god just remember put the prayer tent in my head and i ran outside and he's standing there and he's like johnny says to me he says how you doing buddy i said i'm struggling and he goes are you eric Yax?" i was like yeah how do you know? Oh, I got your email. We're fired up. And Michael Millington came in the picture. So that's how I met John. <clears throat> the transparency was awesome. You know, to I look back at it now and I think, well, for him to write that down, you know, it's like it solidified it, right? That he was struggling with that. So we prayed for him. And, and then he kind of conveyed to me what, what was going on in his life and the struggles he was having, you know. And I, you know, I let him know that, hey, God can handle this, you know. And I just said to him, you know, you have to surrender. And he says, I want to. And then it's been an ongoing just progression how God's just yeah. uh, doing work in his life. And, and he's been obedient and disciplined in what God's calling him to do, too. It's tough being an addict. It's a very selfish thing to stop that and then look back and be like, wow, time just flew by and I couldn't be happier today. He'll text me, hey, so many days, so many days. Yeah, and, and he'll, amazing. you know, kind of recount the, the day we met, you know. So yeah, it's a blessing for sure. You have to build a strong Christian community. It's mm. all about relationships for me at this mm. point. Mm. You have to be willing to put your defenses down mm. and go, even though I'm a man, I'm all macho, whatever, I still have issues. I think sometimes people don't reach out until they realize they are struggling with something and they've got nowhere else to go. And they've been sitting in church for yeah. five, 10, 15 years. So I think when guys understand that they're not alone, that there are people struggling with the same things, and God's not gonna do the work until you confess it. So, yeah, and I think so that's true. exactly what Eric did, you know? I don't know how to deal with the guilt and shame of all of my addiction and the, the years and years and the just nasty things I've did to people. I don't know how to deal with that. My prayer has been since January 3, just lay it at God's feet, yeah. the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment. And then finally, on May 18th last week, I was praying with my wife, and then 10 seconds in, I lost it. Cried for an hour, and God finally said, you know what, man? 
It's enough with the guilt and shame. It's over, leave it. And I tell you, that's another just miracle God's worked in my life. Like I've, I've been, my wife and I, our relationship has never been better. We've been married five years. I just, I, I'm flourishing friendships with him, Pastor Tim. It's just unreal. And I feel at home with the speed with which God has worked in the last hmm. six cool. months is unbelievable. I would love to reach my hand out and pull somebody out of the pit I was in. To know other Christians have the same struggles and have conquered them with God, it gives me so much hope. Good morning, Awaken. Let's try that again. Good morning, Awaken. There we go. There we go. Y'all slept in. You got to be ready to go here. You got to be ready to go. Hey, it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. If you came looking for Pastor Derek, sorry. Um, he's, I, guess, I think he's in Monterey, uh, enjoying some time uh, by himself and with the family and all that. Uh, but I want you to know he did search long and wide and hard to find somebody with the same haircut to fill in today. So... <laughs> Why is that so funny? No, it's all good, and uh, I hope he enjoys his time and everything else. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Ephesians chapter 3. If you would, stand with me as we read God's Word as we get started this morning. A couple of very simple verses, but very, very powerful And as we get going through the day, I want you to remember what God's Word says, um, and we'll go from there. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we thank you for being in our lives. We thank you for this place. We thank you that uh, you have given us life, Lord. We just, uh, it's a miracle, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that you've given me. I ask that you remove me and your words speak this morning. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Anybody want to have some fun? Anybody want to talk some football? I know a little bit about that. Did that for a little while. I've only spent, you know, roughly... 45, 50 years in the game, but, you know, who knows? Uh, We can do that and all that. We're going to talk a little bit about football, a little bit about life, and how everything um, works this all together. First off, happy Father's Day. If you're a father, stand up. If you're a father, stand up. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I, uh, I get to join you. Not only do I get to be called dad, father, but I also get to be called 
Papa Jay, which is amazing. I have three children and six grandchildren, and uh, they, they are truly a blessing. So thank you all. So here's the deal. Guys, I know you're standing. It's Father's Day. Yes, this message is for you, but women, we haven't forgotten about you. you know, I, I guarantee you, you'll get something out of this. We good with that? Okay, guys, before you sit down, do me a favor. When you had that child, right, you got that child, and I'm sure, just like me, they walked in and they gave you what I call a playbook and an instruction manual. Do you have that? Pull that out. You didn't get one? Well, wait, wait. Did your wife get one? Okay, guys, have a seat. Either did I. Now, look, if you're anything like me, the first day was an absolute blur with child number one, right? I mean, you're just trying, it's survival mode, right? The second day, I'm sitting there and I'm holding this child. What is this? And then I realized one thing, that child at that time, is solely dependent on me. And I was scared to death. Anybody else that way? I mean, I had no instructions. I had no, I'm the last of five kids and I had no, how do you raise a kid? Right? How do you raise a kid? I'm looking for the playbook. There is none. Okay? And let me tell you something. The world... It's crazy. Anybody argue with that? Okay, look, the world we live in is crazy. Okay? We've got far too many people following things instead of this book. We need to get back to this. So we're going to compare a little bit about the life, my life, how God brought me here, and I think it'll help you as we go along. So let's start with where I came from. You just watch me play football up on the screen and all that. I'll be the first one to tell you I love baseball. (laughs) So here's how it all worked. I was a baseball guy. I loved baseball. I played baseball in high school. I played high school football. Why? Because my buddies talked me into it. Anybody else ever do anything that their buddies talked them into? Okay. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, right? We're all there. So I'm a baseball guy. I uh, was very fortunate. Um, I was pretty good. Uh, how many of you were around when Daryl Strawberry talked? Remember when Daryl was here? Well, Daryl and I played against each other in high school. Okay, we were in the same league. He went to Crenshaw High School. I went to Palisades High School out in L.A. Uh, I remember a game when Daryl was pitching against us. Uh, I was able to hit two home runs off of him which was awesome, and everything else. Uh, and he reminded me of that when I saw him when he spoke here. And then I reminded, him, I reminded him also that in the bottom of the seventh inning, he hit one off the top of the wall for the game-winning double. Oh, well, not always a winner. But so I was a baseball guy. I got drafted, uh, graduated high school. I got drafted in June of 1979. I was the third player selected in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft out of high school. Uh, I did pretty well in high school. Junior year hit 523. Senior year hit 526. Pretty good. At least I thought so. 
But I also played the little game called football. I was one of those guys that got to the NCAA and said, hey, if I play professionally in that sport, why can't I be an amateur here? So I did that. And you're looking at a guy that was told his entire life, you're not good enough to do something. That's all I needed to hear. You're not good enough to do something. Okay, and I wasn't good enough to go play college football. So I signed to go play at a little school out in LA, um, UCLA. Just a little place, uh, in case you haven't heard of it. So I played professional baseball, college football. I did that for two years. Toronto called me, they put me on big league roster, uh, got to go to big league camp, play with some of the best people in the world uh, and all that. So I left school after my sophomore year. And I tell you that for this reason. So between my freshman year and sophomore year, I played in a grand total of 11 college football games. You're all like, yeah. Over two years, I played in 11 games. I started one. That was it. I went and played baseball. But see, baseball brought me to where I am today because I ran into a gentleman that ran Baseball Chapel America by the name of Rip Kirby. And I got to meet Rip, started talking with Rip. He started to disciple me and everything else. And I was struggling in the minor leagues, going back and forth because I was trying to do it. Okay, I was trying to do it. Now, understand something. In baseball, you can be the greatest of all time if you hit 300. You know what 300 means? means you're wrong seven out of 10 times. So there's a lot of failure, okay? There's a lot of failure. And I was meeting with Rip one night and I was pretty down and he asked me a question and I'll never forget it. I'm a 23 year old kid and he asked me, he said straight up, he goes, what if God has other plans for you? And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? From the age of five, all I ever wanted to do was play baseball. That was it. And he said, yeah, but what if God had other plans for you? So like every 23-year-old, I did what most of us do. I blew them off, right? Right? Isn't that what we do? Hey, I don't want to change. This is my dream. I get to live my dream. Well, God has other plans because God proceeded over the next week to allow me to sleep about five or six hours the entire week. See, he kept knocking on, at my heart and going, really? You're going to do what you want to do or you want to do what I want you to do? Because see, this word right here, I didn't know it at the time. Exceedingly, abundantly, he can do that very easily. So you're looking at a guy that left baseball, his dream, called my old college coach, said, I want to get in, play football. A lot of things happened. Old college coach ended up writing a letter to every team. I didn't know it until after I was in the league, which was phenomenal. Uh, he's a great man of God and everything else. But four years after I played my last college football game, I got drafted in the third round by the Washington Redskins. I hadn't played in four years. I didn't do it. God made that happen. Okay? And I can tell you right now, when I made that team, I had the best job in America. You know what that is? No, it's the backup quarterback of an NFL team. <laughs> I didn't have to play. 
I stood on the 50-yard line right next to the head coach. Nobody obstructed my view. I was like, hmm, those guys are pretty good, but I'm not getting hurt. Mondays came around. I'm in working out. I'm doing great. I'm running everything else, and everybody else comes walking in all beat up. And they're like, hey, kids, shut up. And I'm like, hey, I feel great, you know, all that. Well, see, our life is like a football game in this respect. Because then life happens and chaos happens. Let me explain it. I'm standing on the sideline, Monday night game, November 18th, 1985. I know it because my son's birthday is the next day. I'm standing there, everything's going well, and you might remember it. It's the night Joe Theismann broke his leg. It's a Monday night game against the Giants. Lawrence Taylor tackles him, snaps his leg in half. Both bones in his lower leg are snapped, come through the skin, okay? And I'm standing there and I'm next to Joe Gibbs and on the other side is Joe Bugle, who's the offensive line coach. And Joe Bugle takes his hat and throws it down and goes, now what do we do? I am three feet away from him. <laughs> and I'm the only other quarterback listed on the roster that's dressed. So my thought was, it's probably my turn. <laughs> Coach Gibbs's philosophy was if you're a starter, you practice with all the starters, they play, you're expected to play, and if you're a backup, you've got to get yourself ready because if you ever get the chance to play, he expects you to play like a starter. So I'd never been in with that group of guys. Well, I realized very quickly, one thing and one thing first, I needed to find my helmet. See, I never put on a helmet during an NFL game. <laughs> And I figured since Lawrence Taylor just snapped that guy's leg, the least I could do is put, a hel put on a helmet, okay? So I found my helmet. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you guys remember it or not. It took him 21 minutes to get Joe off the field that night, okay? It took him 21 minutes. I had 21 minutes to think about what was going on. And I can tell you I was very calm. And it wasn't because of me, because I knew one thing. God had put me in this place at that time for this reason, okay? Now, let me just paint the picture for you. It's a Monday night football game. Anybody ever watch Monday night? Okay, it's kind of seen all around the world, okay? So you can make a splash and everything else. And oh, by the way, there was this guy sitting up in his suite, um, and I was very fortunate to get to know he and his wife later on. Um, most of you refer to him as President Reagan. Okay, he's watching the game. And the next thing you know, I go running in. Well, I go in and I call the first play. Okay, here we go. We got the playbook. We know what we're going to do. I'm going to call the play, everything else. I go out there, I call the play, and there's the guy in the huddle by the name of John Riggins. Okay, John Riggins is in there, big running back and everything else. I call the play. I go up to the line of scrimmage. We yelled out colors, numbers, names, all that. Some mean something, some means nothing. You know, a name means this and all that. But there's this one word in there that everybody understands. And that word is hut. Okay, now, 
I've been doing this a long time, college. I hadn't done it in, you know, four years, almost five years now because I've been there for a year and everything else. But you have to understand one thing in a football game. Once you say hut, it is absolute chaos. You got 22 of the biggest people running around trying to maul each other, okay? It is absolute chaos, right? And they're all after this thing that they call a football. Number one, it's not a ball. Have you seen it bounce? Okay, just in itself, it's chaos when it bounces around, right? So we're out there. Joe gets hurt. I call this play. I snap the ball, and I hear this scream, Well, the scream comes from behind me. As a quarterback, I knew one thing. I was, wasn't really unintelligent. Two people are behind me. One is my running back and one is the referee. Neither one should be screaming when I snap the ball. But I come to find out it was John. When he took off to start her to run, he would scream. And I asked him afterwards, I said, well, was that a normal thing? He says, well, that one was a little extra special. And I go, why? He says, because you knew, the Giants knew, everybody in the stadium knew, everybody on home TV watching knew you were going to hand the ball to me on your first play, which I did. And he immediately got tackled. Not good, because usually when I hand him the ball, it's about four or five yards deep in the backfield. So now it's third down. Okay, it's third down and 14, 15 or all that. I call a play and everything else. And before I break the play, Mr. Riggins decides to tell everybody. I call the play and I go, ready, break. And he looks around and he goes, they're going to let you throw it? <laughs> I didn't really have much of a choice, right? I've got these 10 other guys that are going to run this play. So I go out there. Giants are lined up. There's this guy over there that wore number 56 for the Giants, um, Taylor. Yeah, Lawrence Taylor. By the way, I think I'm third all time on his sack list. Don't get on that list. It's not fun. Um, so he's out there. Well, I do my routine. Boom, boom, boom. I say that magic word. I go, hut. Everything breaks out. Everything else. I drop back. I throw this pass down the sideline. And Art Monk, who's in the Hall of Fame, one of the best receivers of all times, lays out, makes a catch 44 yards down the field. That was my first pass. I go running back into the huddle, okay, and everything else. The same guy that just said they're going to let you throw it got everybody in that huddle together and goes, boys, this kid's going to win it for us. My life changed in an instant. One five-second play, my life changed. I all of a sudden became the starter, right? And I had guys that believed in me. We went on to win the game that night. Um, another long story, but I'm probably the only guy in the world that had, did hang up on the president of the United States. That's another long story. As I told you, the next day was my son's birthday, so I got a phone call saying, hey, this is Jan, I'm with the, the White House, President Reagan would like to see you. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> my phone rang, rang right back and he goes, please don't hang up on me again. 
turned out that, yeah, he was with the White House. <laughs> so. so that's how I got started in the NFL. I was very fortunate, got to a Pro Bowl, won a little thing called Super Bowl. Okay, anybody Denver Bronco fans? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, long story short, I will tell you, you know, I told you I got to play against Daryl Strawberry in high school. There was a guy that beat me twice in the high school playoffs, um, went on to play a little bit in the NFL by the name of John Elway. So John and I played against each other in high school, college, and professionally, which is pretty cool. That doesn't happen very often, but uh, so thank you, John. We got this. And don't get upset. He got his. Don't worry about it. They ended up winning one and all that. So life is chaotic. I'm in the league. I'm nine years into the league. I've been to the playoffs eight out of my first nine years. And Mr. Davis, Al Davis, when I was with the Raiders for five years, we had a conversation and we decided mutually it was time for me to move on and for them to move on as an organization from me being their quarterback. So I told myself, very simply, I want to go somewhere warm. I don't like to play in cold weather. I want to go somewhere warm. I want to go somewhere where they played on grass, okay? Because grass is much better than turf. And they're going to be a good football team. So I visited a bunch of teams as a free agent and everything else. And then I made the decision. And I was very happy with my decision. I ended up in Cincinnati. <laughs> Cincinnati's not warm. They played outside on turf, and at the time, they stunk, okay? Then I realized it wasn't about what I needed. We started the season 0-10. I'll be the first one to tell you, I've never been 0-10 in my life at anything. I don't like to lose. I didn't like to lose then. But it was after our 10th game, I was getting ready to go to practice one day, and my middle son, I had two boys at the time, my, my younger one was six and a half, he said he had a headache. Came home and he still had a headache. And I started calling around to people that I knew on the team and got a pediatrician from a name of a pediatrician and called the pediatrician and he's like, well, you know, maybe it's just something he ate or something like that and you'll be fine as long as he doesn't throw up or anything like that. Well, I hang up the phone, I turn around, and my son throws up. So off we go to the hospital, everything else. I'm living the dream, 10th year in the NFL, and I find out my six-and-a-half-year-old boy has a brain tumor that is just hemorrhaged, okay? I go in the next day to the doctors with, with the Cincinnati Bengals and everything else. I said, here's what's going on, da 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 We don't know what's going on, everything else. They give me a name. About an hour later, I get a call from a Dr. Kerry Crone from Cincinnati's Children's Hospital. He says, I need to see you and your son now. Wait, I got practice. No, I don't. I went home, grabbed my son, went down to Children's Hospital, met with Dr. Kerry Crone in about Three and a half hours into the visit, his nurse comes out. I'll never forget, Mimi comes out, and she's got a stack of books about this big. And they proceed to tell us that my six-and-a-half-year-old has a brain tumor, and he needs emergency surgery. And I was like, hey, no offense, 
but I'm a dad. I'm going to do whatever I can to find the best medical help I can find. Anybody else agree with that? Yes. Right? You're going to do whatever you can, right? And she, the nurse, through her tears and everything else, says, well, in that second book on the front page is the National Brain Tumor Society in Houston. I call it the next day, trying to get people calling back and forth and everything else. I finally get through to the president. And I'm talking to him, and I'm describing what's going on and everything else. And he goes, well, excuse me. He says, Mr. Schrader, where are you? And I said, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he said, who did you see? He said, I said, Dr. Crone. And he says, let me tell you something. Dr. Crone just got back from Japan teaching them the surgery your son needs. I wasn't in Cincinnati to play football. I was in Cincinnati because my son needed to be there and God knew that all along. And it's not just your normal surgery. So they split the two halves of my son's brain. They cut him from here to here, peeled him back, took a plate out, split the two halves of his brain, went down four and a half inches, got the tumor out, put him back together. Sound like fun? Don't ever do it. I'm telling you, don't ever do it. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life is say goodbye to my son as he's going into surgery with the chaplain because there's a 50-50 chance he's not coming out. I'm here to tell you today, God is good because not only did he come out of that surgery, the tumor came back four years later and now that young man is 36 years old and has given me two of the most beautiful grandchildren you've ever seen in your life. Our life faces unexpected turns. Your life faces unexpected turns. You don't know when they're coming. You don't know what's coming. But I can tell you this, they're coming. They're coming. If you look around the room, some of us that don't have any more hair anymore or anything, we'll tell you, they're coming. <laughs> okay? So if you have lived a perfect life up to this point, God bless you. Hang on, because here it comes. Something is going to come. But I realize watching this and looking back wasn't about me. It was about the power that works through me. Yes. And my acceptance of, I can't do it on my own. I need help. And that help was Jesus Christ. Yeah. I don't know how you would do it if you're not grounded in faith. Okay, I really don't. I'm gonna leave you with a little example in all that. What is this? This is a pencil. Comes in all shapes, sizes, colors, right? Doesn't really matter. I'm gonna tell you right now, this is a lot like our lives. You're like, how in the world are you going to do that? Here's how this pencil works. It needs to be sharpened. It needs to be pruned. It needs to go through some probably very unpleasant things to get to that point. Just to be used, right? Okay. Is it always right? 
There's an eraser on there for a reason. Are you always right? Not a chance. Not a chance. We make bad choices and all that. Jesus Christ erases things. You know that? Guess what? Then it's got to go back and be pruned again. And again. And again. And again. Pretty soon it's only about that big, right? But here's the thing that I want you to understand. All that time, this pencil has left a mark. It's left the mark. My question for you today is, what mark have you left? What mark are you going to leave? Is it always joyful? Absolutely not. Is it always perfect? <laughs> Good luck. Right? But you will leave a mark. You will leave a mark. Remember one thing. It's what's in the pencil and it's what's in your life that'll leave that mark. You cannot function on your own as much as you try. Gentlemen, that's all we ever try to do. We are the fix-it men, correct? We see a problem, we fix it. Women, you got everything in the world going on all together. I don't know how you do it, but you do it, right? Everything for you is like this. Us guys, we have little boxes. We fix this, we move to the next box. We fix this, we move to the next box. We sit there and we scare, stare at a box and you wonder how we can stare at a box. Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. We sit there and stare at a box and you wonder how we can stare at a box. Okay? God has made us unique human beings to be unique human beings. He has a purpose for you and he has a purpose for me. The question is, are you going to walk out in faith, do what God asks you to do, to leave the mark God asks you to leave? That's the question. Today is the day we recognize fathers, and that's awesome, but ladies, kids, it's no different. It is absolutely no different. We are all here to leave our mark. What's the mark that you're going to leave? What is it you're going to leave? What type of legacy? Oh, I'm going to leave them lots of money and all that. Good for you. How many of you have seen a Hertz with a, with a U-Haul behind it? Huh? Can't take it with you. Yeah. It's nice to have, but you can't take it with you. You know what you can't take with you? The fact that someday when you die and go to heaven, you'll see them again because you gave them the, the word of God. That's what you can't take with you. 
We're going to wrap it up with some prayer. Yes, this is Father's Day. Yes, you get to go eat some meat. Yes. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love my salads, but we need some meat. Okay? We need some meat. I'm going to ask you to do something as we close in prayer today. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you are in your walk, if you're walking with the Lord or if you're not. The bottom line is you need to get connected with the power that works in us. That is it. I can't put it any simpler than that. If you're not connected, if you're not fully connected, you're walking sometimes, part-times, picking and choosing when you want. Today's the day that changes. Today's the day that you get up, not for me, not for anybody next to you, but for you and God to decide, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Today's that day. I want you to get up out of your chair, if that's you, and walk to the front, because I would like to pray for you. Because it's a battle. It is a battle. You cannot do it yourself. I don't want you to do it yourself, because you will fail. You will fail. And it doesn't matter where you are in life. Let me tell you something. Nowhere in here that I've read 100 times over does it say you need to clean your act up before I help you. Anybody found that in here? I don't care if you smoke, you drink, you gamble, whatever it is. You can't change that alone, but you can change it like in the video through the power of Christ. Yeah.